When I first started coaching baseball in high school, um, this was back in the 90s, and we had 4,000 kids at our high school, and we'd actually have to make cuts. And so freshman team, maybe 40 kids would come out, we'd cut 20 of them. And so uh, then I moved on and coached at Cal Baptist for a while, and then um, my friend Kenny was coaching at King High School, and I went and helped him. And, but it was still teaching at Harupa Valley and coaching different sports. But um, the baseball job opened up again um, when I was very old. And I said, man, I, I think I want to do it. I want to try it. Just, just, uh, I got a young guy to be able to throw batting practice so I didn't have to do it all the time uh, to coach with me. And, and, um, but I was shocked. at uh, There was 1,300 kids at our school then you know, when I started coaching again. And so um, we used to have three teams, and we only had two teams. And anybody that came out made the team. And so I, I had to actually go recruit players. Hey, uh, I heard you play baseball. Hey, you want to come out and, you know, help us out? So one of these guys was a senior. Uh, he hadn't played baseball for three years there, but I heard he was really good in Little League, which means nothing basically in high school. But he was really good in Little League. So I said, hey, man, you have a glove? You know, I need a third baseman. You want to come out? And he came out. And uh, so during the year, uh, he, he was playing third, and he always looked extremely timid at third base. So he would have his hat really low and just kind of sit there like that. And, and so I, he came in the dugout, and I said, hey, Matt, can, our, our, did, I realized that our son sits behind there, and so it's sitting right in his face. And so maybe that's why he looks the way he is. And I said, hey, so what, uh, you know, can you see out there? Coach, I'm just hoping they don't hit me the ball because I can't see a thing. And I said, oh, man, that's horrible. And so then I went and got him some Oakley sunglasses. And I said, put these on. And he put them on. And I said, man, you look like a ball player. And he goes, really, coach? I said, yeah, you look like a ball player. You should wear those all the time. And, uh, and so he did. And I'm telling you, it transformed his play. He ended up that senior year uh, making all-league as the all-league third baseman and uh, just, just had a great year. And so I tell this to you because sometimes what you wear can make a huge difference in how you carry yourself and how your behavior is. And my wife is wondering, why are you wearing that hat up there? So I'm going to take it off. <laughs> but every year uh, we purchase T-shirts for the youth group. And we like to have our church name and youth group on the front. And then we allow our senior students to design the back with a, a Bible verse, and then we put that on, uh, on, on their shirts. I like them to wear their shirts when they come to Awana. We give them points if they wear their shirts for their team, uh, but especially when we go on an activity. My hope is that when they see others wearing their shirts, that they have a sense of belonging to the group. And I host, also hope that it will affect their behavior, knowing that they represent our group, our church, and ultimately our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so I want them to be mindful and a good representative of Christ and our church. And so when they wear their shirts, see the other kids wearing their shirts, I'm hoping that that will make a difference in them. My wife actually made me wear a, a youth group T-shirt, hoping it will affect my behavior this morning <laughs> so that I don't go off script like I do on the announcements. So I'm not going to go off script this morning. I'm wearing my shirt and, and going to represent our group well. Uh, but I believe that what we wear should affect how we behave. And we will see in this passage this morning that the clothes we have been given by God to wear should affect and transform our behavior. 
The Bible is God's revelation to man of who he is and what he has done. It's so easy for us to read a passage in our morning devotions and forget about it as we start our day. But this is not what God wants for us. God wants his word to transform us. It should affect our thoughts, our actions, and our relationships with others. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul seeks to show how God transforms believers. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, he discusses God's plan for salvation, how we started off dead in our transgressions and sins, and yet how God brought salvation to us and made us alive together with Christ, and how he chose to give us salvation out of his unbelievable mercy and grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This salvation is totally unmerited on our part. We cannot earn our salvation by being a good person. It is a free gift from God. And as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32 this morning, We will see how the Apostle Paul spells out in specific detail how we are to act in light of this great salvation. Please look at Ephesians 4.25 where Paul is going to say the following. You can look on the back of your notes. Our church does it very nicely for you. Or if you have your Bibles, you can open up. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So let's pray together. Our our most gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being with us this morning. I pray that you would use me this morning to communicate your word to your people. Pray that your Holy Spirit would be alive in all of our lives, open our minds to understand your truth, and just help us to find areas that we need to grow in and improve on. Just pray that you would bless your word as it is preached this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And I was very concerned when I felt the Lord leading me to this passage this morning because I'm sure many of you are very familiar with it. And it's very similar to the passage that I spoke on last, uh, last time this year in Colossians 3. However, in the men's Bible study, the Apostle Peter spoke on how important it is to be reminded of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. So there's a need in us to be reminded of truth even though we already know it, because we, we still need to be reminded so we can, uh, can apply that in our lives. 
I was very encouraged by Peter's example and to dig into this passage and remind us of the truths that are found here that will help us relate to one another in a godly way that is consistent with our salvation. Have you ever wanted to get along better with people? Do you find yourself in conflict with those in your household, your spouse, your kids, your siblings, your parents, your roommates? Well, what about those outside of your home? Your, your, uh, your co-workers, your boss, your neighbor? We live in a broken world and none of us can travel through this life without being wounded by others. We all have hurts and scars that are deeply embedded in us. This morning, the Apostle Paul will give us some great exhortations to be able to grow in the ability to be salt and light in our relationships. Those of us who are saved are called to act like the saved person Christ has made us to be. In fact, notice how the Apostle Paul starts in verse 25 with, Therefore, which points us back to what he just stated in the previous verses, where he taught us that we have laid aside our old self and put on the new self. He goes on to tell us in verse 24 that our new self is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This new self is the clothing of Christ's righteousness and holiness. And having taught us that we have put on this new self, Paul now wants to show us how this should result in a change in how we relate to one another. In our passage today, Paul will give us five instructions for relating to one another in a way that matches our new clothing in Christ. We will see that each of these five exhortations involve putting off evil characteristics and replacing them with righteous ones if we are to relate to one another in a way that fits with the new self we have put on. As we go through these, I want you to remember that it's because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ that you're commanded to live this way. Please do not attempt to live this way in your personal righteousness or your willpower. Living this way can only be motivated by gospel truth and done in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The first exhortation that Paul gives us if we want to relate to one another in a way that matches our new clothing in Christ is to, number one, put off falsehood and put on truth. Look at verse 25, where Paul says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Laying aside speaks of putting off or putting away. It is in the aorist tense, which means that this is a past action. Paul is saying that because you are now clothed in Christ's righteousness, you should have already laid aside falsehood. The literal translation of falsehood is the lie. What spe specific lie must we lay aside? We must lay aside the lie and deception of our life as an unbeliever, the darkness of understanding that used to govern our lives as unbelievers, which Paul talks about in verse 18. Paul describes this life as walking in darkness, having a hard heart and calloused conscience because of the lifestyle of impurity and greed. It's a lifestyle of selfishness where lying is acceptable as long as it benefits you. Before you were saved, you would lie to yourself that you could earn your way to heaven. All of these things comprise the lie that we must lay aside. 
When Paul speaks of falsehood, he refers to all forms of lying. This includes an outright bold-faced lie. Well, yes, officer, I know it looks like me on the security tape, but that's not me. It must be my doppelganger uh, because I was not there. I totally wasn't there, and I know my phone was there, but they must have stolen it from me and, uh, but, uh, because I wasn't there, officer. And so just a definite bold-faced lie that someone is using because they got caught. But it also includes the little white lie. Yeah, I finished my homework, even though most of it is done, but it is not completed. These are the falsehoods that are known as half-truths and not the whole truth. Using words of flattery to gain favor or words of exaggeration to make yourself look better are all forms of falsehood. These are things that we should have laid aside with our old self. This is an area where it is easy to fall short. But Paul is telling us that we need to lay falsehood aside from our life. And Paul tells us that instead of lying, we should speak truth. The Greek word for speak means, wait for it, speak. To speak is to use words in order to declare one's mind and disclose one's thoughts. This word translated speak is in the present tense, which means that it is a current action and that is to, to be continued in the future. There is constancy implied here. Speak truth now and continue to speak truth. Truth is what is true in any matter under consideration. God is truth and his word is truth. If you think about it, God created truth and defines what truth is. Since we are clothed in Christ's righteousness, truth should be a natural byproduct in our lives. We should live lives of integrity and be known as truth-tellers. Integrity is so needed in our present age. I remember I used to watch the the, uh, television news with a guy like Walter Cronkite. How many remember Walt? Okay, look in the room. I see you guys, my generation. Walter Cronkite, man, and when he said something, I had pretty much confidence that this was true. I probably was wrong, but I, I totally believe what he said was true. But nowadays, if you listen to the news... Man, you can't believe anything. You don't know what is true. You don't know what is true. But Paul tells us to speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. This is a quote from the book of Zechariah, except Paul changes it from speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor, to speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Paul wants to emphasize the relational aspect of the Christian walk. If we speak to someone... That does not necessitate a relationship. But if we speak with someone, we are having a relationship with them. The relational aspect goes hand in hand with the reason Paul gives as to why we should speak truth with our neighbor. Look again in verse 25, where Paul tells us to speak truth with our neighbor for or because we are members of one another. We are no longer a bunch of isolated individuals going about our separate lives. We are now a community of believers, and we should share our lives with one another. In this context, we should speak truth to one another, even when it is difficult. We may have to confront a brother or sister about a sin we see in their life or a blind spot in their walk. It takes a true friend to be able to confront someone about what you observe. 
We also need to allow others to be truthful with us and not get defensive over something that they may see in our lives. We also need to be willing to open up and share our personal struggles with another brother or sister and reach out for help. A great place that our church has created for us to develop these types of relationships is in our care groups. Please commit yourself to a local care group and intentionally work on having these types of relationships. Fellowship is built on trust, and trust is built on truth. The second exhortation that Paul gives us for relating to one another in a way that matches our new clothing in Christ is to number two, put off sinful anger and put on righteous anger. A better way to state this might be to put off sinful rage and put on controlled indignation. Look at verses 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. We're going to first talk about sinful or unrighteous anger. This type of anger is generated when our pride is hurt. It occurs when frustration mounts because things are not turning out the way we had planned. The root of this type of anger is selfishness. When we allow self to rule in our hearts, bad things happen. And one of those bad things that happens is is our just unrighteous anger. When we allow self to rule in our hearts, we start thinking we are the most important person in the room. And when we believe that we are the most important person in the room and others are not in agreement with us, this leads to unrighteous anger. I have struggled with unrighteous anger my whole life. And I vividly remember an incident that the Lord used to wake me up from my selfishness to reveal my unrighteous anger. When my son was five or six years old, I noticed that he started having temper tantrums. He would throw his arms up and down and stomp on the floor. And I thought, why is he acting like that? Where is he seeing this type of behavior? Man, I got to check out what kids he's hanging out with. And then the Holy Spirit slapped me on the back of the head and said, he's imitating you. But I'm so thankful for this moment in my life and how the Lord used it to help sanctify me and make me aware of my behavior. But this leads us to the question of what does righteous anger look like? When I first started studying this section, I didn't think that I could have righteous anger. I know our Lord Jesus had righteous anger because his anger never led him to sin and he never lost control of his emotions. But I did not believe that I could behave this way. But I asked myself, why is Paul exhorting me to be angry? There must be a type of anger that is righteous and legitimate for me to exhibit. It would be so nice if Paul just instructed exactly, specifically, okay, be angry at this, but don't be angry at that. But he didn't do that for us. So I dug in deeper. There are two different words used for the words angry and anger in this verse. The first word where we are commanded to be angry means to be provoked to anger. This word is always passive in the New Testament, which means that something is being done to the person to cause them to be angry. So we must be very careful about what is provoking us to anger. Sinful behavior, moral corruption, and unjust circumstances are legitimate things to be angry at. When we look at our world today, we see many things that we can be righteously anger, angry about. We need to feel a certain anger when we see someone do something that dishonors God. 
But the second word translated anger means indignation, wrath, exasperation. This is the type of anger that occurs when something or someone messes with our selfish agenda. Paul uses this word when he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. One of the commentators I read said that this cannot be taken literally. literally. Otherwise, the men in Greenland can be angry for three months during the summer. (laughs) The sun never sets there. But what this restriction is telling us is that we cannot let anger linger. We cannot allow anger to hang around and hinder our relationships. If we allow our anger to stick around and simmer, it will begin to fester and grow. Bitterness and vengeful thoughts will grow if we do not deal with our anger. Paul goes on to say that we do not want to give the devil an opportunity with our anger. If we, if we allow our anger to linger, we are allowing the devil an opportunity to stir the pot and make things much worse. Think of the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis. Moses tells us that God did not regard Cain's offering, but had regard for his brother's Abel's offering. Cain became very angry at this. And, and the Lord said to Cain, listen to these words, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain did not do well. He did not master, gain mastery over his anger and he ended up murdering his brother. If you've ever watched one of the TV shows that depict a murder that has occurred, who do the detectives always go to first? The spouse, the spouse. The butler, no, the spouse. (laughs) Why? Well, the detectives know that people are rarely murdered for no reason. And it is usually the spouse who has let anger stick around and given the devil a foothold to get them to do something unthinkable. Hopefully, it doesn't get that bad to where you will be on a TV show or I will be on a TV show, but we have to be careful that our anger does not turn into something evil. These could be unkind thoughts, words, or actions that wreak havoc on our relationships. Thoughts of retaliation, revenge, or harm towards those that we are angry with are common thoughts that we entertain when we allow our anger to go unresolved. As believers, we need to live differently because of the clothes we are wearing. Remember, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And one of the best ways we can behave in this clothing is to reconcile with our fellow believers that we have conflict with. And if need be, we should apologize and ask for forgiveness. We need to strive for unity as the book of Romans instructs us So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And the next exhortation Paul gives us for relating to one another in a way that matches our new clothing in Christ is number three, put off dishonest gain and put on honest labor. Look at verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. The word for steal in the Greek is klepto, where we get our word kleptomaniac, which refers to a person with an irresistible urge to steal. 
The word itself means to steal, to commit a theft, or to take away by theft. Do not steal was the eighth commandment of the law given to Moses. This word has wide application from stealing other people's money or possessions to failing to report income to the IRS. It could be an employer who doesn't pay his workers a fair wage. It could be an employee who gives poor service or claims more hours than he has worked. There are many ways that we can be dishonest and steal from people. Shoplifting is rampant these days. A recent article in the New York Post estimated the cost for retailers by this epidemic of thefts to be well over $100 billion. This is causing many stores to shut down in some of our major cities. Recently, I was shocked when I ran into Walmart to quickly get a battery for my key fob that was failing, only to find out I had to find an employee to open up a, a lock cabinet with the batteries. And I go, why are you locking these batteries up? What's the big deal? Oh, no, people come in here and just grab them and get out of the store. They just steal them. So we have to lock them all up. And if you're like me, I'm sure there have been times in your life that you had a desire to take something that didn't belong to you. I still remember vividly a, uh, when I was in elementary school, I rode my bike to the local TGNY store. How many of you remember TGNY? Okay, see, same generation. There you go. Walter Cronkite, TGNY. For those of you that don't know, it was, called, it was a dime store. And uh, now you have a dollar store, but we had a dime store back then so we could buy things for a dime. I would go to this store every Saturday. I'd get a dollar uh, from my allowance. I'd drive there and get 10 packs of baseball cards because they're 10 cents each. I guess we must not have had tax back then or maybe because it had gum and was food. I don't know. But didn't pay tax, so I got 10 packs of baseball cards brought home. But this time when I went to the TGNY, I didn't have any money. I don't know why I went, but I did. So I walked around the store. Notice nobody was watching me. So I grabbed a pack of juicy fruit gum and I slipped it in my pocket. And I left the store and I'm riding my bike home. And then my guilty conscience just convicted me. And I just said, oh, what did I do? And so I threw the gum away. <laughs> and so then I drove home on my bike. I got a quarter. I drove back, probably off my dad's quarter, but uh, I, I drove back and I put it on the counter and I ran outside. Probably the, what was the kid doing? But I left it there. And, but, you know, I wasn't saved at that time, but this incident has left a mark on me and I've never even contemplated stealing from a store again. After telling us not to steal, Paul tells us that we should labor with our own hands. This word translated labor speaks of strenuous work that produces fatigue. It is work that causes us to grow weary, tired, exhausted. Some uh, like to refer to this as an honest day's work. And whenever you do yard work, I'm sure you always go back and look at it. And say, man, that yard's looking pretty nice. You know, hey, honey, come look at the, did you check out the grass? And I don't have grass anymore. But when we used to, I used to do that. But there are some benefits of labor. First, it is good. It allows the person to meet their own needs and also the needs of their family. It allows a person to do something meaningful with their time and contribute to society. Second, work allows a person to be able to share with the community around them. I would encourage you to create a personal agape fund in your budget at home. Even if you could only put $10 away each month into this fund, it will make you more eager to look around at the needs of others that God may have in your life. And, who, and just pray, God, who do you want me to give, bless with this money? 
And as it builds up, you'd have more to give someone that you see have need. But third, and most importantly, work, working allows a person to give to the Lord. You as a congregation are so generous as you give to the Lord, but you're able to give so generously because he has prospered the labor of your hands. I'm so glad that we have an agape fund at church. As you give to the agape fund, apart from your regular giving to the church, you're sharing with those who have need. This fund is used primarily uh, for, to help those with needs in our local congregation, but it also has been used to help those other believers worldwide. I love working with the guys on the Agape team, and I'm very impressed with their love and concern for all of you. I really appreciate their shepherds' hearts as we discuss ways that we can meet the needs of people in, our, in this congregation. And so far, Paul has exhorted us to lay aside falsehood, to not exhibit sinful anger, and to steal no longer. He goes on to tell us to put on truth, righteous anger, and generosity. And the next exhortation that Paul gives us to help us to relate to one another in a way that matches our clothing in Christ is number four, put off unwholesome speech and put on edifying speech. Look at verse 29 where Paul says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. The Greek word for unwholesome means putrid, rancid, rotten, decaying, unfit for use, or worthless. You get the picture, this type of speech is rotten, whether it is vulgar, unkind, or dishonest. This type of speech hurts the hearers. It is worthless speech that spreads rottenness and leads others to think of worthless, rotten things. In the ancient world, this, in, in the ancient world, this word would be used for rotten fruit or putrid fish. Think of this lovely smell that it would emit from this garbage. The smell would permeate throughout the whole house, and everyone in the house would start thinking about the rotten food. And it's the same way with unwholesome words. Cursing, vulgar phrases, crude jokes, and unkind, mean-spirited remarks are all unwholesome words. And these types of words inflict damage on those who hear. These types of words should not be in a believer's vocabulary. Social media has taken unwholesome words to another level. It is so easy to say whatever you want when you can hide behind a screen. A recent study said that 60% of all Internet users, 60% have experienced cyberbullying. Cyberbullying is a common practice among junior and senior high school students. 69% of kids on YouTube have reported that they have been bullied, and 64% of children on TikTok reported being bullied. The effects of cyberbullying include depression, social anxiety, and self-harm. There's an epidemic of bullying among our youth but this has no place in the church. I used to work in the public school system, and as a teacher, I was shocked at the vulgarity of, of some of my students. Some of them couldn't even say a single sentence without saying a cuss word. I'm just... But then, in my final two years of my career, I got to move over to the administration. And I found out where the students learned to talk like this when I had meetings with their parents. And uh, so parents, we need to be very careful how we speak to each other because others are watching 
and learning. But instead of unwholesome words, Paul tells us that we should speak words that are good for edification. We need to use words that have a beneficial effect on others. The benefit in this verse is defined by that which edifies or builds up. I like the definition for edification in in the Blue Letter Bible app. It is anything we say or do that promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. What a contrast to unwholesome words that are described as putrid, rancid, rotten, and decaying. Can you imagine your speech promoting another's growth? Your speech can spur another believer to grow in wisdom, happiness, and holiness. What is it about this type of speech? What is, what is it about this type of wholesome speech that builds others up? Paul tells us in this verse, this type of speech is according to the need of the moment, so it will give grace to those who hear. To have speech that is according to the need of the moment, you must be aware of the person's circumstances. If you want to speak words that are appropriate, learn to be present in the conversation and dig in to find out exactly what is going on. You must have the ability to ask good, clarifying questions to make sure you understand the situation. Proverbs 25.11 reveals, Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Appropriate, encouraging words are beautiful. You have the power to encourage or discourage people with your speech. How many times have you regretted something you said? At that time, you're speaking rotten apples in settings of garbage. But God wants more for us than this. And he has the Apostle Paul exhort us to be thoughtful with our words. What type of speech gives grace to those who hear? Grace is defined as that which brings joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, and loveliness. Your speech can bring others joy, pleasure, and delight. Wouldn't it be great to be able to bring this to others? It is unfortunate that someone says something hurtful only only to follow up with, well, it's the truth. We need to season our speech with love and be able to give grace. Sometimes it is love that compels us to speak the truth and say something hurtful. But it needs to be done with gracious words, especially words of gospel truth. So many times our message may be good and necessary, but it doesn't give grace to the hearer because of how we delivered it. Paul says in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Salt makes food more appetizing and it is your words and how you deliver those words that need to be seasoned so that the hearer is more willing to listen. There's a saying that states, say what you mean, mean what you say, and never be mean when you say it. The reason Paul gives us as to why we should have wholesome speech is found in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We love hearing the first part of this verse, right? I'm sorry, the second part of this verse. At salvation, I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. This means once saved, I can't lose it. But is the very fact of that that should motivate us to never hurt others with unwholesome speech because that grieves the Holy Spirit. To grieve means to make sorrowful 
or to cause one to be heavy. When we lie, exhibit unrighteous anger, steal or speak unwholesome words, we bring grief and sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Why should we behave like this to the one who seals us for the day of redemption? Why would I want to bring grief to the one who secures and gives me assurance of my salvation? Do you see that when we continue to behave the same way we did prior to our salvation, that it is inappropriate for us to act this way? We are children of God who are dressed in Christ's righteousness on the outside, and we have the Holy Spirit on the inside, and we need to act like it. And the final exhortation Paul gives us, if we want to relate to each other in a way that matches our new clothing in Christ, is number five, put off hateful attitudes and actions and put on loving attitudes and actions. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Let's first look at hateful attitudes and actions that, we are, uh, that were part of our old self. Bitterness refers to an attitude of smoldering resentment. It happens when we allow our anger to linger long in our hearts. The longer we allow anger to linger, the more it begins to consume us. Anger does not stay static. It will either grow or it will dissipate. Wrath speaks of passion, anger, heat, boiling up, and fierceness. It is a deep-seated rage that fails to subside. The police refer to certain crimes as a crime of passion. This is a violent crime in which the perpetrator commits the act against someone because of a sudden strong impulse rather than a premeditated one. Hopefully this does not happen to you. But have you ever said something out of a fit of rage? Have you ever murdered someone with your words or with your thoughts? Have you allowed someone or a circumstance to make you so upset that you lost self-control? This would cause you to exhibit wrath. As we talked about earlier, anger stems from selfishness. It occurs when our ego gets hurt. It is an emotion that is closely related to wrath. Anger refers to the inner feeling of resentful bitterness, while wrath occurs when anger is acted upon. Clamor is a crying or an outcry of someone against something. It is also translated brawling, which refers to physically fighting someone. This happens when we are in an argument and it begins to escalate and leads to shouting at each other. When you find yourself in a situation like this, you have the power to escalate the problem or de-escalate the problem with the tone of your voice. My wife and I try to impress this on young couples in our premarital counseling with them. Tone of voice is so important when trying to communicate to each other. The Greek word slandered is blasphemia. To slander someone is to speak ill of someone behind their back. Christians often do this in the guise of prayer requests. Please pray for so-and-so who is a liar and a thief. By doing this, you're slandering their reputation. You should ask for prayer for this person who really needs the Lord right now. And that's all you need to share. Once again, with social media, it's very easy to slander someone when they are not present to defend themselves. Malice speaks of the evil intentions in our heart when we wish evil upon another. Malice involves feelings of revenge and wanting to hurt them as much as they have hurt us. In the legal system, Malice refers to a person's intention to do injury to another party. Party. It is an unlawful or wrongful act without justification or excuse. 
Malice occurs in our lives when we allow anger to turn into bitterness and bitterness leads to malicious thoughts of others. All these behaviors that Paul lists here in verse 31 are relational in nature. All these behaviors need, to be, need other people to be involved and all of them are rooted in selfishness. We get bitter and resentful when someone else gets the recognition that we think we deserve. We get wrathful when we don't get our way and anger has set in in us. We have clamor when we start yelling at another person we are arguing with. We slander others when they have hurt us and we start to talk poorly about them to others. We store up malice when we think of how we can get someone back for the hurt that they have caused us. There's a wise saying that says, being angry and resentful towards someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. How true this is. When we allow ourselves to entertain these hateful attitudes, we are the ones that are most affected by them. The Apostle Paul is exhorting us to put these attitudes away because we are now clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We are transformed people and we need to act like it. How can I put away these hateful attitudes that the world and my flesh encourage me to keep We find the answer in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. To be kind to uh, to one another is to treat others with goodness, gentleness, generosity, and graciousness. The four G's. Goodness, gentleness, generosity, and graciousness. To be kind is to be useful. It is love in action. The Good Samaritan is a great example uh, of kindness that we find in Scripture. He went out of his way to care for the helpless man who had been beaten and left for dead. He generously supplied for him the care that was needed to get him back to health. And the Good Samaritan did not think of himself or his personal comfort. He thought of the injured man and how he could help him get back to health. This is the type of kindness we are exhorted to give to one another. Tenderhearted is referring to being compassionate to one another. The Greek word literally means to have the ability to identify with another from the gut. It's being able to feel deeply with another person. Now all of us parents in the room know what this feels like when we see our child running towards us and they trip and they're heading towards the sidewalk and boom, their knees hit it and you go, oh man. So that's just feeling with them from the gut and having that type of tenderheartedness. A person with compassion can enter into the hurt of another and bring comfort. I love the Irish saying that says, a true friend doubles the joys and halves the sorrows. This is a friend that has compassion. We are next exhorted to forgive each other in the same way that God has forgiven us in Christ. How has God forgiven us in Christ? If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that God has forgiven you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. In Psalm 103.12, Paul uh, tells us that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? I believe that this verse is telling us that Jesus has taken our sins an infinite distance away from God's presence. Another picture that the scriptures give us is in Isaiah 38, 17, where King Hezekiah says to God, you, speaking of God, have cast all my sins behind your back. When something is placed behind your back, you can no longer see it. It is out of sight. Jesus takes our sin and puts them out of God's sight. A final verse I want you to look at this morning is Isaiah 43, 25, 
where God says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. If you, think of some, if you think of something that is written on a chalkboard or a whiteboard and then it is erased, it disappears. Jesus' blood, blood blots out our sin in God's eyes. They're erased and wiped away. God will not remember our sins because Christ sacrificed on our behalf. So I hope you're getting the picture of how God in Christ has forgiven you. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, God casts away your sins an infinite distance away. He puts them behind his back and he wipes them away so he won't remember them. It is because of these great gospel truths that we can forgive others. It is because of the mountain of sins that I have been forgiven that I'm able to forgive the anthill of sins that someone has done against me. Relationships are hard, whether it is family, friendships, or marriages. Relating to one another in a God-honoring way is difficult. But I hope you leave this morning encouraged and motivated to live the way we have been instructed to. I do not want any of you walking out this morning with a list of things, man, I need to do this, this, and this, and not do this, this, and this. I want you to walk out of here with a sense of wonder and awe of the amazing salvation and forgiveness you have in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that you've been clothed with the robe of righteousness that Jesus has earned for you. I want you to know that because of your salvation, God wants more for your life than for you to stay stuck in your selfishness. He wants you to live an abundant life that Christ has earned for us. If you want motivation to do all the things we've looked at this morning, read Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 and remind yourself of all that God has done in saving you and lavishing His grace upon you and bringing you into relationship with Himself. Even think of the gospel truths that Paul expressed in this passage today. Number one, that God in Christ has forgiven you. Number two, that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. And number three, that we are members of one another in the body of Christ. Spend time pondering God's goodness to you and realize that it is all of grace. If you are truly saved, these truths should leave you with such motivation to live the way Paul is commanding you to live in this passage. If you reread this passage, you will see that the root cause of all these bad things uh, we are to lay aside is selfishness. God wants us to lay aside our puny, miserable, selfish life and learn, learn to serve Him while serving others. It is for our benefit if we lay aside these things, but we also bless others when we lay them aside. A life of selfishness is an empty life, but a life of other-centeredness is a full, abundant, overflowing life. Please know that God loves you and wants to transform you into the kind of person that this passage instructs us to be. Be encouraged that God wants you to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. We have been saved and washed with the blood of Jesus Christ, and we need to act like it. And I want to say a word to those of you that are here today that might not have a right relationship with God yet. It's not a coincidence that you are here. God wanted you here. And he wants, you to, he wants to have a relationship with you so badly that he sent his son to come to earth and live a perfect life, fulfill the law in his life, and die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. All you need to do, even where you're seated, is cry out to him and ask him to save you. 
If any of you have any questions, please feel free to come talk to me or any of the other members here at church. We would love to answer any of your questions and help you to know how you can be clothed with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ so that you can actually begin to live the way Paul instructs us to live. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, how your word has the power to make the simple wise. We just pray that this morning as we've been challenged by the words of the Apostle Paul, by your words, that we could live this way, that we could put away our selfishness for our own good, put it away and put on kindness and gentleness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. Help us to forgive others that have hurt us. Help us to forgive them because you have forgiven us so much. Help us be mindful of you as we go through our days. Help us to be salt and light in this world and make a difference to those in our sphere of influence. So I ask your blessing on the rest of our day. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.